Episode two of Office Hours with Alan Nagara, Howard, and Harper. As always, I am your host, Jaleel Howard, and I'm here with the rest of our team for a special episode, making sure we're reaching certain demographics within our audience. Um, and today we wanted to provide a few tips, share some triumphs, and share some failures for graduate students as well as early career scholars. Just things that folks wish they had known when they were at this early stage and advice that will allow people's journeys to be a little bit smoother than some of you all's journeys. So I want to start by just opening this up to you all. What type of tips or advice do you have for graduate students, early career scholars on how we navigate this field and as many of us aspire to one day reach heights and levels that you all attain? I'll start because uh, um, I, you know, I offer advice often and, and I I always say that um, to have the best experience in academia, you have to have discipline uh, and passion. Yeah, come on. Right? If you have discipline, then you're going to be productive. You're going to be uh, organized. You're not going to procrastinate. You're going to, you know, um, get your work done uh, in a timely manner. And if you don't, you're going to just end up, um, uh, you know, not enjoying this because you'll be up against deadlines constantly. You'll be pressured and, and it's just not going to be a rewarding and fulfilling experience, but the passion is equally important. If you have a passion for what you're doing, then you're going to experience joy in it. You're going to actually, when you have to sit down and write, it's not a pain. It's like a pleasure, you know, that, that you, you, you have something to say, you have something you want to do. And being in touch with that sense of passion. Why did you do this? What, what's, what's, what's your goal? What's, your, um, uh, what's motivating you? Being in touch with that, I think, helps to make it feel less like a chore and more like a labor of love. And uh, that has carried me through um, this field and this work. And I'd say, if you can't have that, if you don't have that combination, this may not be the field for you. You know, I, I listen to people who are just stressed out and, and it's hard and it's painful. And I always say, you know, maybe there's other work you should consider because it's this is this work is not for everybody. Professor Nogueira, where were you 40 years ago when I was struggling to learn what <laughs> is those gems that you just put out there? Because that literally captures That's it. jewels right there. Jewels. What about you, Walter? What advice? How would you build on that? I, I, I can't really add anything. I think he just really captures what the the, the journey has has taught me that you 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 absolutely must have those 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 twin elements of, of as he said the, the 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 passion for me first and well the, the discipline first and foremost, but then the passion and 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 putting those two together just carries you through those those late nights when you're up at 3 a.m. And you're going to ask those inevitable questions of why am I doing this? What is this about? Mm -hmm. And and you have to have good answers in order to continue with with this this journey and this this line of work. So I, I have plenty of questions as a current graduate student who still has those three a.m. up 
questioning yourself. We talk about discipline, and I think that's a very, in some ways, ambiguous term. So I guess mm -hmm. to narrow that, what does discipline look like early on? Because I think in some ways it can feel like you're almost overworking yourself, exhausting yourself. And I think there's a fine line between discipline and this concept of self-care that we talk about. So where is that line? How do you find that balance between discipline, making sure you're putting that time in, but not driving yourself crazy? I think it looks different for each individual person. I remember being a graduate student and feeling like I wasn't working hard enough because my work habits seemed so different from the habits of others around me, right? Um, what I came to discover about myself over time is that I work the way I work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let these other people work the way they work. I, I don't That's have right. to look just like them. Um, right. And, you know, the, the output is in some instances the same, but it actually could be better. The output for me was better because I was able to adapt to my own, my own style of work. Look, for better or worse, I'm a person who does things when they're due. I've never been a person <laughs> who wrote papers two weeks before the deadline. That's just not my jam, right? Even when I've attempted to do that, the papers sucked. Like they were like, not good. Um, so, you know, I think it's about understanding your own, your own flow, your own work habits and being patient with yourself. Maybe you won't get this all figured out in your first semester or your first year. Um, you know, it may take, you know, into your second year for you to figure out as a graduate student or as a second year assistant professor, what your flow is. I was yeah. going to say, when did you find your flow? The truth is my flow was there all along. I was just practicing somebody else's flowing. Don't you see that? See? So then the better question, when did you become comfortable with your own flow? Honestly, it probably wasn't until my second year of doctoral study. And what was your sign that you had become comfortable with your flow? What did it look like? How'd you know? That was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> and I guess I, I would sort of connect with, with Sean's point which was part facetious but I think very real is that you 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 have it within you earlier on and and for me it's always been a more my challenge is is being other oriented and 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 paying more attention to external uh, evaluations because I'm the hardest critic that I would ever have <laughs> I mean there's no one out there who's going to be a a more stringent and 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 and, and tougher critic on me than, than I am on myself. And at the same time, a lesson I learned very early on, uh, even before uh, graduate school, is to trust your grounding in who you are in the communities that produced you in your values and in those sort of core North Star principles that, that, that drive, drive you. Now that doesn't mean that you have the content already, but it does mean that you are not all over the place and you're not trying to satisfy, do something that's impossible by the way, Pay the, play the politics of satisfying everyone in the wall, in the yeah. room. Yeah. You, you'll fail it's a it's a failed effort before you even take it up yeah that's a great point but Jaleel, you said something that i i admire about younger scholars today that i don't know existed when i was in grad school so you talked about self-care 
Uh, that was a, a concept that I knew nothing about when I was in grad school. Maybe it existed, but but you all will look out for yourselves and advocate for yourselves, and you will say enough in ways that I could never have imagined. So when my advisor, Jim Banks, would say, look, I need you to have these five books read by uh, you know, the end of the month, there was no self-care I could think about. I had to have them read because when I saw him, he was going to expect me to have them all discussed. If I walked into his office and said, well, you know what, uh, Jim, I only read two of the books because I had to engage in my self-care. He'd have probably kicked me out of his office. It was a different day and a different time. And, and therefore, that was very serious self-care. Because you know you can't go to Dr. Banks' office unprepared. And not exactly. Your side, you put your life at risk. Right, right. That's right. So I don't know what the balance is. The balance is, so you asked the question about what discipline looks like. I think you have to sort of find what it looks like for you. But what bothers me a little bit, while I admire younger scholars today, what bothers me a little bit is this idea that, okay, well, Howard assigned, you know, a lot of reading, 10 readings. I'm only going to read, you know, three of them and skim, skim through the other six because of, you know, because I just don't think that's necessary. Well, that's fine. You can do that. But discipline says that you still need to be well-read because I sat in meetings with each of these gentlemen, with Sean, with Pedro and Walter, and you can tell when students show up and they have not read. You can tell when students show up and they have not done the work. You can tell when students show up and they haven't demonstrated the discipline to dedicate themselves to wanting to learn this work. So I think for me, in addition to Pedro's two principles around sort of your, your, your passion and discipline, you also have to ask this fundamental question. There's a book by Simon Sinek says, start with why. What's your why of doing this in the first place? If your why is centered around the idea that I want somebody to call me doctor, that's not a good reason. If your why is I want to be on, on Dr. Field like Sean is, I want to be on MSNBC like Pedro, that's not a good reason. If your why is really rooted in a, a, the, the ability to make change and to learn something and to expand your knowledge base and to be a problem solver, that's something different. And then you're not concerned about skimming. You're reading because you see your knowledge base grow growing and expanding as a way to help you be a problem solver. And you know, to that point, one reminder of why for graduate students who are searching for it, who feel like maybe they've lost their, lost their direction or lost their, their way, is to go back to the personal statement that you wrote when you were applying to that graduate program. It's right there. Your why is, is there in that statement. Um, you know, there's a thing that happens. It's a very unfortunate thing. That happens in graduate school where students, and this most acutely happens to students of color, they get socialized away from or out of the things that compelled them to pursue PhDs, for example, in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you got to go back to, to, to that personal statement and, you know, just ask yourself, um, am I still committed to these things that brought me to this journey? So I think you all have offered extremely valuable advice, but this is Pedro Nogueira, Sean Harper, Tyrone Howard, Walter Allen. Like these are folks who have reached the top of the top of academia. And I think it can feel like these are folks who were destined to be at the spots they're at, right? These are folks who never messed up. So in many ways, can you all humanize yourselves in many ways or, or, or share with us some of the, the, the mix-ups or mess-ups or failures that you had along your way that you overcame and still reached the point that you're at today? I'll start someplace that I'll bet good money no one else was. My first academic um, semester at Beloit College, I had a grade point average that basically equated to what we, we had a DF, the, the step between the D and the F. 
I had a GPA of DF and thank God for the A plus in football. <laughs> so so it's just, it just depends on where you start and, and, and your, your sense of where, where you're going. But the point is that there are always these challenges in these stumbling places. You, you fail an exam here. You, 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 oh God, the number of papers that are re rejected, the kinds of grant proposals that are not successful. So you just can't be focused on those. Uh, rather just thinking instead, and back to my internal compass, am I better today than I was yesterday? <laughs> that has been just a, a mantra for me that's, that, that's really made, made the difference. I'll, I'll go, um, you know, I had two kids while I was a grad student before I got my doctorate and two more before I got tenure, right? So I had four kids and um, that meant I had to work while I was in school, right? And because the fellowship I got was not, not enough to support a family. And it meant as a new assistant professor, I had to figure out how to balance um, family responsibilities with my work. So that's why when I talk about discipline, what I'm talking about is using your time well. I used to have to get up three and four in the morning before anybody else got up to write because that was my only time I could be sure I wouldn't get distraction, right? Um, but, you know, I agree with Sean, everybody's got to find their own way to do this. There's no one way to do this. Um, but I will say with respect to the, to the where, where it got hard, I, I did my dissertation on a small Caribbean island, um, island of Grenada. I wrote about political change after the revolution. And um, Grenada got invaded uh, 1983 before I was done with grad school. And then I wrote about it. Uh, and I, I was going to publish it as a book, and I got very good, promising reviews on initial a proposal that I sent to a, a major press, and then it took me time to finish. By the time I finished, they said, well, that's old news now. We're not interested anymore. And I couldn't find a top publisher for my manuscript, and my tenure clock was clicking. I knew I was coming up, and I was told already, the requirement for tenure at Berkeley is you got to have a book. They're not interested in just articles. They want to see a book too. And I'm desperate. And um, so I understand what it's like. So I did get a publisher, but I was, you know, worried uh, there for a moment because, you know, uh, it wasn't looking like it was a short thing by any means. And so, you know, there's more to it than just discipline. You know, there's being strategic, there's being... Um, you know, you got to be really open to being mentored and, and, and doing the networking, too, because that helps you to figure this stuff out rather than trying to do it on your own. And take the advice of the mentors. Don't don't get mentored, but then neglect the advice that you're getting. Let me just build on that, because I can identify with what you're saying, Pedro, around the, the whole family piece. If there was ever I would call it a misstep, but I always just struggle with time and presence. You know, I had two kids before I started grad school. One born in graduate school, that's Jalil. Maybe that's why he pursued this field because that's where I was at the time. And then one when I was an assistant professor. And I just always struggle with, you know, being present. And, you know, I want to be present for my family, but also, you know, the other young assistant professors were getting together to write after work. And I just couldn't do that, right? And so it forced me to have to be much more, to Pedro's point, efficient with my time. If I had a two-hour window, because between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m., everybody was asleep, I had to read. I had to write. It forced me to be very particular about time management. So I would say just be mindful of how you use your time because it's valuable. The other misstep that I had when I was in graduate school, I failed my qualifying exam. 
And I failed it looking back because I think one of the things I had convinced myself of was that being in a PhD program, you had to be able to sort of, you know, sound like you were a PhD student. You had to use big words and big theories. And, and what I did not do was I was not answering the questions that were being answered. I was trying to say five, 10 other things that were not part of the question. And I got, and I got dinged and I failed. And that was one of the bigger lessons for me in this process. So I always tell my students, are you answering the questions that's being asked for you, whether it's a qualifying exam, whether it's your dissertation, whether it's a fellowship application, answer the question. Brevity is the key here. Don't try to over sort of, you know, complexify the work. Don't try to, you know, say it in ways that, you know, you think people who have, you know, degrees will understand. Keep it plain. Keep it simple. Uh, otherwise, you kind of get caught in a whole bunch of just what uh, Peter McLaren used to call, you know, intellectual, you know, something else. I won't say it here, but you just don't want to sort of overthink the room. Keep it simple. Answer the question. Big misstep I made was trying to be something that I was not and knowing my lane. And Tyrone, that's a lesson I had to learn in terms of teaching. I mean, you spend four days pre preparing for the lecture, but you cannot fit all that in and, and have it be absorbed by your, your students. Bring in those, 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 those key ideas and present them simply, and then be flexible enough to know that there are the times where the true educational process is going to deviate from your set lecture that day. And if the conversation is moving in productive ways, let that conversation move in productive ways rather than forcing your, your preparation into the space. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll add two uh, failures here. One is a failure to be much more transparent in about my win-loss ratio. Um, you see, people, the public, sees the wins, but they don't see the losses uh, because we don't communicate our losses oftentimes because losses are embarrassing for some of us as, as academics, right? But the truth is for every one grant, competitive mm -hmm. grant that I've gotten, I was denied five other competitive grants. And that's, right? a, great, every that's article. a great success percentage, by the way. Is it? That's right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> it didn't feel that way always. Um, say that to the National Science Foundation. I still want them to give me some money someday. But, um, you know, for every article that I've gotten published in a journal, I've gotten rejections, right? Um, so I, I, I think that um, I really appreciate how blessed my career has been and continues to be. Part of the blessings, though, has also been the moments at which I've been rejected and have, you know, been denied. And I just think that it's really important moving forward for me to be just much more transparent about that so that, you know, younger and earlier career scholars can have a more realistic sense of what it means to become Walter Allen, Tyrone Howard, Pedro Noguera, right? Uh, we didn't wake up like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there were failures along the way. Um, the, the other thing that, I, that I'll just add here quickly is um, I spent my 20s and 30s careering, like really, really, really hard. Um, there was some playtime, right? But like I was like pedal to the metal careering. When I turned 40, I felt 50. Um, and I decided at 40 that I wanted to reclaim what had been lost mm. um, 
you know, during the 20s and 30s when I was careering so that hard. when you got the sports cars? That, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I would just say my advice to early career faculty members is to meet the expectations of what it takes to be successful in the context where you are, but also chill, right? Like it is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. That's good advice. That's good advice. Yeah. Good. I think that connects to, to Pedro's talking about having a family and those responsibilities. It, 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 it complicates things, but it really made it a lot easier for me in the sense that you had to have the balance. You, you simply couldn't work 24 seven. You had other people you were responsible to. And the nature of our work is that you're never not working. That's what I say to students. Even when you're in that family setting and in that moment, your head is churning through your ideas. So, so the, the notion of, of the balance that you found, Sean, at, at 40, and Sean, I, I have to say, and, and we'll talk more off camera, but I, I'm a little skeptical because you always did have some fun in life in, in, in my sense of <laughs> who you are, <laughs> which is what makes you such a wonderful person and scholar. I want to add two more things real quick. Um, I want to pick up on the mentorship piece again, because that is so important. I think that each one of us has benefited from mentors, people who took time out, who gave us advice, who gave us direction, who had real hard conversations with us. That is invaluable. So I would tell graduate students, as well as early career folks, find mentorship. Uh, and some folks say, well, how do I find it? Uh, you got to go up and Talk to people and ask questions and ask if they can recommend readings. I mean, conferences are big for that because, you know, at conferences, you just ask, can I get 10 minutes of your time? Don't take up two hours of folks' time, but 10 minutes just to kind of pick somebody's brain is huge. Mentorship matters. Nobody does it alone. The second thing I would add to is pick your battles. Um, and by, by that, what I mean is that sometimes as graduate students, there's this desire to be super critical or more woke or to be more sort of, you know, on top of certain topics than other folks are. And that's like, fine if that's what you do. For likes and clicks. Yeah, there you go, there you go. And so, so be careful with those battles and, and don't really engage in those battles with people who are very senior to you because that may not bode well for you professionally down the road because if you cross people the wrong way, or if you burn bridges with people, these are the very folks who ultimately are gonna have to vouch for you or not vouch for you for opportunities for jobs. These are the very folks who sit on editorial boards. These are the very folks who sit on hiring committees. These are the very folks who, uh, who sit on committees around fellowships. So pick your battles, be wise, because you just never know in your attempt to be very critical. You can be critical without tearing people down. You can critique without really sort of personalizing to people. And so I just think that younger folks need to learn how to be a little bit more savvy, a little bit more thoughtful about how they engage in certain battles. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. And we'll just add the caveat, though, that one has to be true to oneself. And, and I'm thinking about a particular failure in my career, quote unquote, that came from the simple fact that I could not in good conscience sit quietly at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill as an assistant professor when a senior professor dismissed W.E.B. Du Bois as a journalist, said he was not a sociologist. I knew better. And, and I just simply could not um, uh, sit quietly in the face of that. But at the same time, I made a, a conscious choice that tenure was going to be delayed. 
And as it turns out, it worked out fine. I didn't get my tenure at, at Chapel Hill. I left before the final decision and moved to Michigan. And so I was delayed in getting tenure, but recognizing that you can make up some of that, that, that distance. So it took me 10 years rather than the standard seven. But the point is that you're busy and learning the whole time. And more importantly for me, I could live with myself because along the way you do get these litmus tests where people will consciously and purposely uh, uh, confront you and publicly put you in a situation where you are, are called upon to embrace or go along with something that just simply is not who you are. And if you winning the victory, you'll lose the war. I know you want to wrap up, uh, but I just think that this last point by Walter is so important, right? You got to pick your battles carefully, but you also got to know what what do you stand for and what you're willing to sacrifice for? Because um, getting tenure, getting a degree is not worth your integrity. And, uh, but you just have to be careful and make uh, how you make that decision about when you're willing to go up against somebody more powerful than you who could end up, you know, adversely affecting your career. And all else fails. I say to my students, you have a PhD. No one can take that from you. You may have to take it to Idaho or to Alaska. <laughs> Point is that you have your PhD. Well, and even that is not all is not lost there because I talked to them about wilderness time. You go and you work your 40 months in a wilderness and work your way back to those places you want to be. Yeah, thank you all so much for your honesty and vulnerability, right? And sharing so much of your journey. And like Sean said, right, not just the highlights, but also being transparent about the failures. Um, but there was something Sean said that I wanted to touch on very briefly before we get out of there and talking about, you know, your why, 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 why we do this work. Um, and you all are folks who have accomplished more than most will and could ride off into the sunset, but you continue to write, continue to publish, continue to teach. So just very briefly out of this is just my curiosity and my wondering, what is the why that keeps you doing this work? I love black people and I hate racism. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a double down on that. I echo that. I, to me, it's about the fact that I saw schools failing black children, uh, failing poor children, failing brown children. And to me, that's just unacceptable. And if I can play any role to help to end that, I'm committed to doing that. And I would simply say here, here to, to, to both of my colleagues, and we'll, we'll, in addition, just, just say that it is the joy and the sense of fulfillment in this enterprise that keeps me at it because I know I'll be doing it even if I'm not officially in the role of a professor. And for that reason, I've resisted not issues of whether I'm gonna ride off into the sunset, but whether people are gonna put me in a wagon and push me off. <laughs> <laughs> That's not gonna happen. We, 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 we'll, we'll fight if they try to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I feel fortunate that I still have that passion about what, what I'm doing and, and feel like it's important. Uh, uh, Walter and I just uh, were asked by the state superintendent to be on a task force. Um, to supposedly, we'll see, I say supposedly because I'm waiting to see if it's true, that to, to help address what's going on with black children in the state of California. Um, and I readily said yes, because my hope is that we can do something to address the needs out there. Um, it's, it's, you know, I didn't look at it like, oh, this is extra work. Oh, this is um, something that's a distraction. I looked at it, this is an opportunity to do something that'll be impactful. And that's the way I see um, this privileged position 
that I occupy. It's an opportunity to do something that'll further justice, that will further um, help make the lives of others better. And that's, I think, what makes this work rewarding. And Pedro, I think you misspoke. It was either you and Sean or you and Tyrone, but we all look alike, so I do. <laughs> it's interchangeable, right? So, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 me and Pedro, but we're gonna hit, be hitting you up soon, Walter, to see if you join us on that in that work. Yeah, thank you all so much for sharing the advice. I'm sure all of our listeners will have some gems and jewels that they'll take away from this. Um, but that's it for us here at Office Hours. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.